A lot of times we think, well, either the, either Jesus affects people or he doesn't. But I, I'm really more, as I think about it and study it, of the mind that Jesus affects people all the time. It's just that there's one of two responses. Either you will surrender like the thief on the cross and say, there's nothing that makes me worthy of you, but please remember me. Please save me. Or you will be like Demetrius, who no doubt heard the gospel. He no doubt heard the gospel, but was offended by the gospel to the point where he wanted to get rid of Paul. But getting rid of Paul would not solve his soul problem. All right, if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 verse 21 is where we will begin today. Lord willing, we will finish the 19th chapter. And then next month, uh, we will probably take a short break from Acts as it will be very close to Christmas. It's hard to believe how fast time is flying. And um, not real excited about the white stuff um, outside, but I do know that the seasons speak to the faithfulness of God. And for that, we can all be very thankful. Um, so Acts chapter 19, this has been a action-packed chapter. A lot of the chapters of Acts are action-packed. But this one in particular has non-stop action. One thing you notice as we go through the book of Acts, you'll see a work of God that is amazing. And then you'll see direct opposition to that work. And we see that again today. This is the passages that we're going to speak on today is basically a response to verse 20 and the verses preceding it, of course. But verse 20 is a good way to kick off today's message. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And we often see that in the book of Acts, that God has great things happen to the people of the book of Acts and then opposition comes. And so today uh, we are going to look at opposition at Ephesus. If you're taking notes, that's the title of my message today, Opposition at Ephesus. And um, my first point uh, for today's message is Demetrius calls out Paul for wrecking his business. Acts nineteen twenty one to 27. 
So let's read um, those first few verses together and then we'll open in prayer. Acts 19, verse 21. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And at the same time there arose no small stir about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. When he called together the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So then, not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word today, we pray that the truths of the word would penetrate us, that we would learn from your word, and that we would be thankful for your messages to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the situation here uh, is interesting. First of all, um, there's there's a mighty work that has has occurred in Ephesus and so Paul is making future plans and it was pointed out to me as I was studying for this message that this verse 21 basically summarizes the rest of the book of Acts because Paul would make these journeys and he would end up in Rome not the way that he expected to end up in Rome But he ends up there, and that is where tradition tells us he gave up his life because Nero had him beheaded, and he would he would then go to heaven shortly after he wrote to Timothy these words, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the work which God has given me to do. And he very much emulated his master because what did Jesus say when he was done with the work God gave him to do? He said, it is finished. And so, but we see here um, that Paul purposed in his heart, uh, in in the spirit, uh, that when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he would go to Jerusalem And then he says, after that, I'm going to go to Rome. So this being a summary, actually, of the the things that um, would happen as we continue on in our study of Acts. So then he sends ahead into Macedonia, um, two of them that minister with him. We have Timothy and Erastus. We don't know much about Erastus. But then he stays in Asia for, for a season. 
We don't really know why Paul sent them ahead. We don't really know why Paul stayed. We do know that Paul did not like to be alone in the ministry. A lot of times people look at ministry as a lone uh, pursuit, but I don't think God ever intended it to be that way. Back in 2009, when I launched my Speaking for Him ministry, I had a friend who was really instrumental in encouraging me to begin, and he was trying to encourage me by getting me opportunities to speak and by reaching out to people and letting them know about me. And his wife actually contacted me and said, this is your ministry, you can do it yourself. Now, I understood that uh, he should not be neglecting his family for my ministry, and so I encouraged him to prioritize his family. That being said, though, God puts the solitary in families. And I don't think that's just talking about biologically. I think that's spiritually as well. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called one body in Christ. And so we need one another. So this idea that anyone should go off on their own in ministry is not a good one. Jesus sent the the disciples two by two to cast out demons and to minister in the villages. And he had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. You know, he used the multiplicity of people. With Paul, it was Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Timothy or Paul and Silas. It's very rarely just Paul. As a matter of fact, we often think of the Pauline epistles as just Paul. But most of the epistles say Paul with Timothy, our brother, and possibly one other name. And uh, so Paul didn't even write the epistles by himself. So I think that's important for us to remember as we consider the way we should do ministry today. And in that same time, there arose no small stir about the way. Isn't it interesting that at this point, Christianity was primarily called the way. If you are a Christian, you are a follower of the way. And I think that's so important, especially in this era of progressive Christianity, where we kind of say all roads lead to Christ or all roads lead to heaven. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. So we see there a, a distinction, an exclusivity about Christianity. Yes, whosoever will may come, but you must come through the narrow gate. So that is an important distinction for us as well. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines For Diana brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So apparently this man Demetrius had contracted with several craftsmen to get materials. And then he would build the shrines to Diana. uh, Or also called Artemis. And there would be no small gain from them. Apparently the legend of Diana or Artemis is that a meteorite fell from the sky 
And because it was such a powerful thing, they chose to worship it. Sadly, in Romans, it warned us about worshiping the creation over the creator, but this is what they did. So when he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying there be no gods which are made with hands. Now, I, I find it interesting that he is saying Paul has affected all Asia with this message. Did Paul have Facebook? No. Did Paul have YouTube? No. But the power of Paul's ministry was such that his message permeated this big area of the country because God was with him. That is why. If you want to see an example of a powerful ministry, look for the way God multiplies it. For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But I want you to notice something here. Because his first appeal has nothing to do with God. Not even a false God. His first appeal is that he takes away, that Paul has persuaded people to be converted to the one true God and they're not buying the idols. Demetrius says, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. So even when it comes to a false God, his first priority is his wealth. Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. I was actually just looking at a thread on Facebook today uh, where a gentleman that I greatly respect said this. He said, if pastors were not paid full-time salaries, perhaps they would be more bold in the pulpit. The idea being that if you are paid full-time by a church, from a human perspective, at least the last thing you want to do is lose your job. So you may try to stay away from some of the more difficult subjects. And that can be debated, but... The reality is that when we put wealth, when we put our livelihood ahead of what God wants us to do, we will not succeed. Then verse 27 says, So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whereupon all Asia and the world worshipeth. So basically he's saying if Paul continues to get away with what he's doing unopposed, all Asia will be negatively affected. And so first he appeals to the fact that he's losing his wealth and that the craftsmen are losing their wealth. And then secondarily he says then then Diana will be affected. So the first way that you know that he is in the wrong is because he puts even his false religion below his wealth. But then he says, 
Then he appeals and says, not only is is our wealth affected, but also Diana. So he makes that second appeal. So we know that Demetrius does not have a heart that is inclined toward the Lord God. And I think as we uh, approach the world and as we try to reach them for Christ, we need to realize that a lot of them have no concept of the truth, especially in this era where you have your truth, I have my truth, and never the twain shall meet. They act like we can all live in harmony, but, but your truth is only good as long as it doesn't encroach on my truth. And that's what happens when you have no definite truth. The worship of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana, was widespread throughout the Roman Empire. There appears to have been at least 33 shrines to Artemis throughout the Roman Empire, making it perhaps the most popular cult of all. Ephesus, site of the impressive temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was the center of Artemis worship. Pilgrims flocked to the city, especially during the annual festival to Artemis held each spring. The trade generated by this influx of pilgrims was an essential part of the Ephesian economy. It is likely that the riot described in this passage took place during the festival at the peak season for the sale of paraphernalia of Artemis. That's from John MacArthur. And to put it in context, imagine if... uh, Howland wanted to continue doing their tulip festival, but nobody bought tulip bulbs. I remember several years ago, we had a really warm winter. I believe it was the winter of 2011 to 12. Um, It very rarely, we had like two snowstorms the whole year. Most of March was in the 50s to 60s range temperature wise. And as a result, there was this big, kind of joke which they kind of capitalized on because they called it the STEM festival and people even made merchandise I think you can even get t-shirts that say the STEM festival 2012 because there weren't as many tulips because the weather patterns were so crazy that they weren't able to grow and so this is the type of situation that we have here in this passage the festival of Artemis is happening And nobody's coming to buy new shrines because they turn from idols to serve the living God. And they had just demonstrated this by what? By burning all of their artifacts of witchcraft. And it doesn't tell us in the passage previously that there were shrines to Diana there. But would it surprise you if there were? Because this is the false... God that these people in this region are so committed to. And so this is why Demetrius is is so bent out of shape. I want to now look at a couple cross-references. This first one explains one of the reasons why in the early verses of our passage today, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Remember it says in 19 verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia 
to go into Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So let's look at Romans 15, 25 to 31 to get a little glimpse of why that was. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them in Macedonia and Judea to make certain contributions for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. With enticing words and wisdom from your native. It pleased them fairly, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When, therefore, I perform this, I will seal to them this fruit. I will come by you to Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, and you strive together with me for your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them, and do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. So Paul wanted to go to, through these regions so that he could deliver a gift from the saints to others in need. That was one of Paul's great motivations was to meet the needs of others. We read earlier in Acts that he was he was asked to go, I believe, with Barnabas to deliver a donation. To have the accountability that the two of them would go and that they would bring back testimony that the, that the gifts had been delivered successfully. So part of Paul's motivation to go on this journey was to make sure that the needs of the saints that he had been ministering to and the churches that he had helped to begin were taken care of. The next passage I want to talk about is 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. Now this passage deals with the rich. And so if someone could read that, 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. So Paul is saying here that pursuing riches for riches sake um, is foolish and can lead to many horrible things. I think some of the ministers that we see today who are, are preaching soft truths or blatant untruths may have started out on the right path. But they realized that it paid more money to speak pleasant things than to speak the truth. Um, and Paul is not saying here that it is wrong to be rich. He is saying to not allow your riches to rule you. He's saying not that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a very important distinction because we can be very thankful, especially here in the West Michigan area, for certain 
uh, wealthy people who have invested in to the West Michigan area. The DeVosses and the Van Andels, to name a couple. And to the best of my knowledge, both of those families strive to love and honor the Lord Jesus. You know, I get a little disappointed in people who um, simply get mad at people for being rich when they don't realize that it is the well-to-do people that often provide jobs for others. So I think there is a place for it. But Paul is saying that if riches is your motivation, it will lead you down a dark road. And that's what we see in this passage. Demetrius is focused on one thing, the getting of his wealth, and Paul is standing in the way of that. And so he is against Paul, and he's starting to stir up the people. One more passage that I want to look at is Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates pride will Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. There is a whole lot of trouble about to come to Ephesus in the next few verses because of the greediness for gain. Two quotes for you today. Woodrow Kroll said, The God who made us can also remake us. Isn't that an awesome truth? The God who made us can also remake us. And then Adrian Rogers said, The same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business, and his business is the business of transformation. That's Adrian Rogers. God can transform <coughs> lives. It's amazing to me the rise in mental health problems here in this country. And everybody has a ton of solutions. But whenever you try to point them to the hope of Christ, they try to shut you up. My, my brother um, was in the Army Reserves and one of his jobs was to, to offer counseling to his fellow troops. And he said, how can I offer them counsel without being able to offer them the hope of Jesus Christ? That was a source of frustration for him. There is no hope apart from Jesus. The, the hymn writer was absolutely correct when he said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, not partially, wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's where we need to be, leaning on Jesus' name. So the second section as I said, this, this greed for gain was going to lead to some trouble, and here we have it. The second section of our passage is Acts nineteen twenty-eight to thirty-four. Acts nineteen twenty-eight to thirty-four. And we read, and when they had heard these sayings, 
they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into the, unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, said unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they came together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But they knew... But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So we have a situation here where uh, these men are filled with anger. Now I don't know about you, but when I'm filled with anger, I'm not thinking straight. I'm not going to make the best decisions. That's why if you look at the legal system, there's basically two kinds of crime. There's premeditated crime and there's crimes of passion. Because the crime of passion is something where you're not planning on doing it, but often from anger, you get angry and you do something extremely foolish, sometimes causing bodily harm or even death to another person. Because of your anger. And even road rage could be classified as a crime of passion. So these people are not thinking straight. They are angry. And they cry out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And then the city was caught in confusion. This is another way that you can tell this is not of God. Because what did God say? In the epistles, God tells us, let all things be done decently and in order. And that is the opposite of what is happening here. So they catch Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travels, and they rushed with one court into the theater. Now this theater, I think I read, seated up to 50,000 people. So this is a big theater amphitheater and so they rushed them in and Paul wanted to enter he didn't want to, he didn't leave his companions just to their own uh, demise he wanted to enter to defend them he probably wanted to enter to preach the gospel because he's like if there's going to be thousands of people in this amphitheater why not preach to them because that's the way Paul thought But his friends and fellow disciples told him not to go in for his safety. And it's interesting too, it says, Certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure there either. And these chief men of Asia were most likely not believers in the Lord. But they respected Paul and said, Paul, we don't want you to put yourself 
in danger. What does the proverb say? It says that if um, if a man is if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. And I think we can all learn a lesson from that. And then we see um, some cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused. Where else do we see this? We see this in the Tower of Babel. Beginning of Genesis. The whole earth was one language. They said, let's make a tower to go up to God and God confused the language so they would not do that because they were putting their thought process into making a name for themselves. They didn't want to lose the name that they had for themselves. It has often happened in the history of Christianity that when God moves among his people and they become very serious about their Christianity that it affects the livelihoods of those who trade in vice or immorality. For example, in the early years of the Salvation Army, they were so effective that pimps and bar owners organized a skeleton army to oppose them with threats and violence, and even a few Salvation Army workers were murdered. And that is from David Gezek. Imagine that. You're coming to share the peace of God, and they murder you. But who else came to share the peace of God that they murdered? Jesus. The Prince of Peace. See, some people will say, well, Jesus died because he loved us. Yes, he died because he loved us. He absolutely did. But he didn't get nailed to the cross because he was handing out conversation hearts. He got nailed to the cross by, because he said, your lips profess to know me, but your heart is far away from me. He said, you're hypocrites. He said, you're leading people to hell. Did he love them? Absolutely. The Bible says that at certain points, he looked on them and loved him says that about the rich young ruler. It says that he looked on him and loved him. And another place he says, it says of Jesus that he mourned for them because he looked at them and he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. He loved them. But when you love someone, you're willing to say the truth and sometimes the truth is not pleasant. So we need to be willing to be faithful and give our friends wounds if necessary. Second Thessalonians 2, 9-12 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12 
If someone could read that for us, that would be amazing. See, a lot of times we think, well, either the, either Jesus affects people or he doesn't. But I, I'm really more, as I think about it and study it, of the mind that Jesus affects people all the time. It's just that there's one of two responses. Either you will surrender like the thief on the cross and say, there's nothing that makes me worthy of you, but please remember me. Please save me. Or you will be like Demetrius, who no doubt heard the gospel. He no doubt heard the gospel, but was offended by the gospel to the point where he wanted to get rid of Paul. But getting rid of Paul would not solve his soul problem. I want to uh, also look at Ephesians five fifteen to twenty. Ephesians five fifteen to twenty. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. So this is the opposite of the second Thessalonians passage. This is surrendering to God and having God take you over by the power of the Holy Spirit. You work within the Spirit. You're gentle. You uh, minister to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord because of the power that the Lord puts in you. Colossians 4.10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. So this gives you an idea of what Paul thought of Aristarchus because he is naming him by name in Colossians and calls him my fellow prisoner in the gospel. Anger weakens a man. It puts him at a disadvantage in every undertaking in life. When Sinbad and his sailors landed on one of their tropical islands, they saw high up in the trees coconuts which would quench their thirst and satisfy their hunger. The coconuts were far above the reach of Sinbad and the sailors, 
but in the branches of the trees were chattering apes. Sinbad and his men began to throw stones and sticks up at the apes. This enraged the monkeys, and they began to seize the coconuts and hurl them down at the men on the ground. This was just what Sinbad and his men wanted. The apes got angry, so the apes would gather their food for them. This is a good illustration of how, by indulgence and anger, we play into the hands of our foes. We need to make sure that we do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'm actually going to end there uh, because I don't want to rush through my final point. So we'll pick up probably in January with Acts 19.35. But I really hope that we've learned some lessons today from Demetrius and his fellow cohorts about what anger can do. Paul was offering the hope of the gospel, the peace of the Prince of Peace, and Demetrius didn't take it. Instead, he was overcome by anger, and the results were not good. It was a frenzy, and it was a riot, and there was confusion. And at one point, they were all shouting different things because there was no way for them to know what they were doing because they were not on the same page because it was all motivated by anger and angst. And I think we can learn some lessons as the church as well when we are dealing with difficult issues that a soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. We need to be of one accord. That was the power of the apostles in the book of Acts, that they were in one accord serving the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its power as it goes forth. And we just ask that you would bless us each as we go our separate ways and help us to honor you uh, today and continue to be the light of the gospel, even if people get angry or shy away from us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.